0: Good morning, hope you are all well this morning. Matt Michael, uh, elders, thank you for the opportunity to, to stand in the, in the pulpit and, and to do this. Uh, I know how much you enjoy preaching, and uh, I consider it an honor that uh, that you would entrust this to me. so uh, thank you. I once had a, a mentor say to a group of uh, people amongst uh, I was there amongst them. And uh, he said, in addition to praising your bride in private, you need to praise her in public. Anna, I'm grateful for you, I love you, and I'm committed to you. So if you are new to us this morning or you haven't been here in a while, you've caught us at the end, to the tail end of a series. And if that's you, we're we're glad that you have. We're glad that you're here. This morning we'll finish up our our series entitled... Entrusted on stewardship. A couple weeks ago, Matt kicked us off in uh, giving us some principles from Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, overarching principles for stewardship, how we think, how a follower of Christ should think about their, their, their treasure, their gifts, and their talents for the Lord. Two weeks ago pastor michael talked to us about or showed us in the text kind of reoriented our our thinking as it relates to gifts and so uh, perhaps in, in the past we've thought about stewarding our gifts and that I, if i'm gifted uh, in hospitality that i use hospitality here or there perhaps when people come in my home but he really gave us a, a new paradigm for understanding that saying if you are the lord's then use these gifts all the time there is no time in which you're off duty uh, not using these gifts last week Jesse challenged us uh, to use the resource of time well and giving us some practical tips, uh, practical instruction on on thinking about and evaluating things temporal versus eternal uh, as we pursue the Lord. Uh, um, And today we'll wrap up the series by looking at treasure, specifically how we should or followers of Christ should think about money. And so pray with me and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your grace. Lord, we desire... We desire at the end of our life to hear well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, you have made us, you have redeemed us, you have left us here for a season. And I pray, Lord, that we would use our time and our talent and our treasure for your glory. Lord, we also know that, uh, uh, that we're sinners and, uh, and that we don't get everything right. In fact, we get a lot of things wrong. And Lord, we need your help. Lord, we want, we want you to be pleased with us. Uh, so Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to understand money? Lord, the dangers and the opportunities and responsibilities, Lord, help us to be more like you by encountering your word this morning. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The year was 1847, and the literary work was entitled Domestic Slavery as a Scriptural Institution. In this work, Richard Fuller attempted to argue from the Bible a defense of slavery. Francis Whelan, a significant figure in Baptist history, did argue against slavery from the Bible. Fuller's argument can be summarized in three points. The Old Testament tolerates slavery. The New Testament tolerates and regulates slavery. And third, if Jesus and Paul wanted to outlaw slavery, the institution of, they would have done so immediately. Francis Whelan offered a response that satisfied me. Uh, and and you, he offered many points, uh, but likely only needed one uh, to do it. Matthew nineteen nineteen, love your neighbor as yourself. We sit here one hundred and fifty years later and see see clearly this brother's sin and error. Not only this brother, but many others. Right, the very the very convention that we're cooperating with today finds its roots, uh, at least in part, connected with this. People that would that would want to defend this heinous practice. and and call themselves followers of Christ. So how is it that today uh, that we sit here and we see clearly, and we know this is sin, uh, but well-meaning followers of Christ uh, didn't see it? I think we can only say blind spots. Now, we, we understand that slavery was wrong, but we're no different than those brothers and sisters in the fact that we have blind spots. There are things that people will look at us and be like, How'd you, how'd you miss that? And so, so I wonder, what, what will our grandkids say? What will our great grandkids say? What will those that live 150 years after us, our posterity, what will they say? What will they look at us and say with the same aghast that we look at those brothers and sisters and say, how could you? How could you defend that? How could you? How could you? How could you lift up this book, say you believed it, and defend that practice? They'll look at us the same way and say, how how how, how could you do this? Now. Uh, with specifically about Poplar Spring, that they they may want to wonder how we could hire a pastor whose favorite collegiate team uh, has the the color of purple. I mean, purple, Matt. <laughs> there are many other good colors. Try red and black. So, in, in all seriousness, uh, what will they say? David Platt, a well-known pastor and author, says... That it is our subject today, specifically the idolization of it or materialism, that that people will look back 150 years from now and they will say, how did you have so much and do so little? How did you have so much and give so little? How did you have so much and yet you were content to let people be born without knowing the name of Jesus, to live without knowing the name of Jesus, and to die without knowing the name of Jesus? How are there uh, thousands of people groups around the world that know not the name of Christ and they're unengaged? Uh, how in the world could you have so much and do so little? Uh, friends, I think, I think Platt may be on to something. I, I, I think he's right, especially as I think about my own heart uh, and, and, and evaluate it. I think he may be right. Brothers and sisters, that doesn't have to be the end. Just because this is something we may struggle with and somebody may could say something about it doesn't mean that that, uh, that has to be uh, what's in the history books. Because of the text of Scripture, because of community and sanctification, uh, it doesn't, doesn't have to be us. And so uh, let's, uh, let's look at our text this morning and see uh, what's in the text uh, and pull out some principles. Uh, so hopefully they will not say this about us. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. A short text, only three verses, but weighty and sufficient to shine a light on the heart of the matter as it relates to our treasure. Read with me. 1 Timothy six, seventeen. Now, we haven't been in First Timothy, so allow me just a couple of minutes just to introduce the book to help us maybe better understand uh, our, our passage here. And so, uh, in this book, Paul is writing to his friend, to his protege, uh, Timothy. Timothy, who is a pastor at the Church of Ephesus. Uh, the purpose of the book uh, is to provide practical instruction on order in the conduct of the church. And after all, chapter 3 gives us uh, the, the qualifications for, for deacon and for elder Paul summarizes the purpose well himself in chapter 3, and he's saying to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how you ought to believe, how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. And again, this letter, he's providing practical instruction uh, for the church, for leaders uh, in the pursuit of the Lord. Fast forward to chapter 6. And Paul is wrapping up his first letter to Timothy, and these, his last words, deserve our attention. Paul had already addressed the issue of money or, or wealth one time, earlier on in chapter 6, the desire of wealth. And now he turns his attention to those who are wealthy. Read with me in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, now before you discount what I'm about to say or, or, say, or tune out, I want you to, to come back in. As for the rich in the present age, he's talking to you and he's talking to me. Uh, the rich isn't those people over there, those high rollers, if you will. The reality is, fact is, we live in the wealthiest generation that society has ever known. Many of us probably ate meat every day this week. Some of us may have eaten meat uh, every meal of every day this week. This is a luxury and an, indi- and an indication that we are the target audience of, of the. We are the target audience. Paul says. Uh, when he says, as for the rich, include yourself. One commentator had this to say about the term, to be rich is to have more than mere essentials of food, clothing, or shelter. And today's terminology means to have discretionary dollars. When we leave here today, are you going to go out for lunch? Reality is that the, the choice that you have means that we're exactly who he's talking to here. It may not be wise for you to go out, but, uh, but we could. But we could, And so uh, we are the rich after Paul has identified who, he, who he's talking to, uh, the rich, he's going to give two commands or two a, abstain from these things and then, uh, and then do these things. And so don't do this, do this, and he'll end with, with the reason, the, the so that, if you will. And so uh, he says, first, charge them not to be haughty. Paul says, don't be haughty. Now, the word haughty, I'm not sure if, uh, if I'm alone here, but haughty is one of those words that, uh, that, that I probably don't hear very often and I use even less often. But if you had to press me for a definition, I'd probably give you a rambling series of sentences. But the word used here, haughty, comes from two words in the Greek. One, to think, and two, uh, exalted thoughts of, some, of themselves, or exalted thoughts, so to think exalted thoughts. Someone who thinks uh, uh, of themselves in a higher view than they ought to. and So this was necessary for the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was no doubt a prosperous city and had people that had both had money, uh, and probably people that, that didn 't have money. And so imagine the scene with me, this letter uh, being read aloud to the body. And you have the rich brother sitting there beside the poor brother. And upon hearing this, the rich brother, hopefully, if the Spirit of God is in him, if we call him a brother, and then it is, uh, he's immediately convicted or should be convicted about all the times that he had talked over the poor brother or discounted what the poor brother said. <laughs> you know, you're poor, you're not wise, all because of their economic standing. Uh, he was being haughty. And so this brother, perhaps like some of us, are deluded, functionally thinking that we're superior or even that God must think of me superior or else I wouldn't be blessed. Don't be haughty. Second, Paul says, tells them not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Cotton Mather, a well-known uh, Puritan pastor, once said uh, that religion begat prosperity and, pros- and the daughter has devoured the mother. That's, that's, a, that's a little, y'all, maybe didn't bring you King James today, so it's a little hard to understand that. But religion begat prosperity and the daughter devoured the mother. These these uh, Ephesian brothers were no doubt needed to hear this. Some may have been may have been born rich, but others became rich. And in becoming rich, as the quote goes, uh, coming to Christ, we begin to develop some disciplines and the removing of waste. And as we begin to remove waste in our lives, stuff sometimes can accumulate. And then, and then this stuff accumulates, and we look at our bank account, we say, that's, that's nice. And we begin uh, to, to, to fall uh, to prey to the cannibalizing temptation of trusting in these things. Misplaced hope, if you will, or the trust— Uh, In these things it seems even more foolish when you couple it with a word that that, that Paul puts beside it. And so he tells them not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. He doesn't just say, don't hope in stuff, or don't hope in materials, and don't trust in this. He says, don't trust in the uncertainty of riches. And so the stuff that they were trusting in was not trustworthy. Don't set your hope on material riches. On the contrary, Paul tells them, to set your hope on God who richly provides everything to enjoy. And, and immediately the contrast is clear, right? The contrast and the folly of the former. And so why in the world would you hope in something that is unstable or uncertain over something that is certain, all we need, in abundance and for our enjoyment? Even if we didn't have the rest of the text, this, would be, this should be sufficient, right? Right. To, to, to shake us and saying, um, This stuff you're trusting in, it, it, it'll, it'll never deliver. The only thing certain about material stuff is it's passing away. But trust in the Lord who richly provides everything to enjoy. Those three words are, are, are key in helping us understand it. He's going to go on to tell us even more so why we should be trusting in this. Um, but, but, but also consider who's, who's writing here. So, Paul is not some guy li- living a cushioned life, he's a guy that, that, that has abandoned all this stuff. Uh, that's, been, uh, that's been ostracized, that's been left for dead, has been stoned, uh, will be shipwrecked, been beaten, uh, all, all of the above. This guy uh, who has had much and it doesn't have much now, uh, doesn't have a ton of stuff, but he has all he needs and he's satisfied and he has full joy because he's hoping in the Lord. Set your hope on the Lord. Paul moves. Uh, to, to his second thing commanding them to do so he says trust in the Lord put your hope in the Lord who richly provides everything to enjoy uh, it moves and gives them the, the outward f- uh, flowing of it or the, the outward expression of hoping in the Lord they were to do good they were to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share and so for Paul, uh, the two are linked together, uh, the second being a litmus test for the first. And so if, if you do these things, then, then you, if, you, uh, if you're rich in good works and you're generous and ready to share, then that's evidence of what you're hoping in. And so for Paul, they, they were together. And so the phrases are, are similar, each one of them. And I think in and of themselves would have been sufficient, hopefully, to tell us what we need to be doing. But he gives us several of these phrases, and, and they almost build on each other or narrow with, with each passing phrase. First off, he says, do good. We need to be doing something substantive. One commentator said, the verb refers to doing what is noble or excellent, not what is only superficially good. It describes the most general aspect of the duty. The wealthy are to use their lives and their money to do generally good and noble things. And again, wealthy, it's all of us, right? It's not just those people, it's all of us. Paul continues on, it says they're to be rich in good works. And finally, it says that they're to be generous and ready to share. Paul narrows his focus even more with the last phrase. The Ephesians, as one commentator put it, were to have a kind heart and a generous hand. And so I think if the text were to stop here, I feel like it would be sufficient enough to, to, to con- it should be, to convince us to set our hopes on the Lord, right? It should be. Uh, but, but if you're like me and sinful, we, 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 we need more. Uh, and so Paul, Paul gives us this. So, so why would we do this? Paul closes his argument and gives us the so that or the reason or the because. So verse 19, do this and, and thus storing up treasure for themselves, a good foundation for the future, so that it may take hold of that which is truly life. And so the reality is, if you want to store up treasure, if you want something that's lasting... Um, stored up up with the Lord the reality is the foundation in the future that we're talking about is eternity that our years here are are but a blip uh, but a blip on uh, eternity and so remember Paul again Paul's writing here to his friend and these his last words wants to encourage them Paul likely is writing this letter in between his two prison sentences and so he's already been to prison once He's been to prison for, for, for setting his hope on the Lord and being obedient to the word and preaching. He's been imprisoned. Like, this isn't like some, some you know, uh, some, you know trendy way to say that uh, he got a hand slap. Do, he was in prison. He was in prison for doing this. He's released, and he's continuing to do the same thing. And, and that guy who has counted a cost, he's understood Uh, what what is really worth it in life and he says to Timothy his brother uh, he says go after this this is truly life I've seen it all it's almost like Solomon right Solomon at the end of his life Solomon had everything right and he said all of it's meaningless all is meaningless go 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 after the Lord and so here at the end the very end last words are meaningful words Uh, Paul says to his brother uh, to Timothy uh, this is truly life and so brothers we and sisters we need to hear this desperately so what, what do we take from these three verses? Uh, what can we glean from these three verses and, and work to, to, uh, to apply to our lives? What principles can we take as we try, as we look at the intersection of, of, of wealth or stuff or money or treasure and the Christian life? I believe there's five principles or at least five principles in here uh, that are helpful to us as we uh, pursue the Lord and making him known among the nations. Principle number one. Materialism can cause conflict and take away from unity in the body. Materialism can cause conflict and take away from unity in the body. Friends, the mission of God is 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 massive. I mean think about it with me. I, uh, the Lord uh, creates Adam and Eve, and He tells them in the garden in genesis one twenty six to twenty eight I wants you to spread my glory to, to the nations. I, I, want, I want everywhere from the corners all the corners of the earth to reflect the image of God. And so, church, our task uh, is to take his name to the hard-to-reach places, all those, uh, all those places that we don't want to go, those restricted-access places. It's to go to Baltimore. Baltimore uh, is, is hard. If, if, you, if you don't know that, uh, then come. Come with us. Um, the, the mission is massive. The mission also is to conform the people to, to the very image of Christ who is the image of God, right? So the, 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 the mission of the church is, is so big. And if, and if there is any sense of haughtiness or one brother or sister thinking of them other, of another in a higher manner, all, all because God has blessed them and they're taking that blessing as their pull, the bootstrap type moment, uh, then, then, we're, then we're going to miss it. If there is any kind of haughtiness or elevated thought of oneself in the barracks, in our family, in our house, uh, then, then there will be conflict and, and it will take away from unity in the body. Most of us, if not all, could probably think about examples outside the church where, uh, because of people's wealth, people were deluded into thinking or imagining themselves of superior value. Uh, the delusion goes something like this, I have more, uh, therefore I am superior. Now, I don't think any of us would be so arrogant as to say uh, this today, uh, to say that, I have more, therefore I am superior. Hopefully not. If you do, uh, repent and turn to the Lord But unfortunately, this can happen in the church, just with a little holy spin, right? We we might say, uh, "God sees my superiority, therefore, or otherwise, I wouldn't be so blessed." And so, the reality is, it happens here in the in the church too. And so, how are we doing? Have you ever exerted or seen a friend exert their influence over somebody else out of a perceived superiority uh, related to wealth? Do you connect with the poor? Or is this chasm, this awkwardness between you? How does the thought of going to Baltimore sit with you and ministering to poor people? when I say poor, I mean poor like a lot of us don't understand poor. Would you ever seek advice or confide in somebody that has the appearance of less financial security than yourself? If there's any sense of haughtiness in the barracks in our family, it will inevitably cause conflict and slow us down in our pursuit of making God known to the nations. Principle number two. Wealth will never consistently deliver what it promises. Wealth will never consistently deliver what it promises. Christina Onassis was an heiress to a Greek Greek shipping tycoon, and she had it all. Uh, This is a, a trust baby turned adult to epic proportions. She had an estimated $1 million to spend on whatever she wanted to a week. Yes, a week, exactly. So $1 million a week. So if you were Christina and you were out of Diet Coke, what would you do? Well, perhaps some of us, if I, if I ran out of Diet Coke, which Christina did one time, uh, I'd probably say, hey, let's go down to the Dollar General. Let's go to the Sheets or, or the R&R. But Christina, no, she dispatched her private jet to America to get a couple of cases of Cokes. Those are some expensive Cokes. Maybe $30,000 or so for the plane to go over there and come back. It's estimated. Another time... She left her David Bowie tape in Switzerland. I guess she had went to another house and forgot she left her David Bowie tape, and instead of switching over to Van Halen or something else, she sent her helicopter over there to get it. Saddest of all, when her friends were busy and not around enough, she offered to pay them twenty or $30,000 to, to be around, to be a, a friend. Christina would have done well to listen to Paul and to not set her hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides everything to enjoy. Tragically Christina's story ended at 37 years she died at 37 years old of a heart attack some believe, many believe because influenced by her lifestyle uh, And so, how, how in the world does somebody that had a million dollars a week to blow on whatever they want, how, how, how could they not be happy like to be sure we, we hear what Paul says and we said well don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches but a million dollars a week that would do it right nope nope and so I wonder when we heard that, did you say in your mind, well, David, I don't really need a million dollars a week, but maybe maybe extra $500 a week would be nice. Well, if we, if we see clearly that, that uh, the foolishness of needing a million dollars to do whatever, what would the $500 do? See the danger here. Don't be like the rich fool from Luke chapter 12. Remember that in this, this parable where, where Jesus is talking about this man who, who laid up treasures in in, in the wrong places. He, he had a great harvest, and the harvest was so large that he, he couldn't put it in all in his barns. So he tore down his barns and built bigger barns and put the stuff in there and, and sat back and said, Now, now I can rest easy because I, I provided for myself and, and sit back and, and enjoy my treasure. And, and the Lord says, and as the parable ends, uh, God says to him, You fool, tonight your life will be required of you. Um, how foolish, friends. Let us not be us. So, how about you? What, what are you hoping in? Sure, we give some churchy answers, but functionally, what are we hoping in? Because if we believe what, what I said uh, at the beginning, that, that we really can fall prey to materialism, then, then this could be us. It probably is us to some degree. So, wh- where, what, where is your treasure? What is it that occupies your thoughts when you have nothing else to think about? Those, when you're driving to work or driving home, uh, what do we think about? What are the things we fret about? Is it our home, our clothing? What are we most afraid of losing? What do we measure other people by? What do we think that if we had this, we would be happy? Do we have a money problem? If so, friends, we have a heart problem, a gospel problem. Don't trust in stuff. And as i preparing for, for this uh, sermon, uh, just extremely, extremely concerned that uh, if Platt is right, and if, if 150 years from now, people would look at us and uh, and say man how did y'all have so much and do so little like i need to put up we need to put up some hedges around us right to guard against this even if you think man i think i'm pretty good you know i'm giving 35 or whatever or you're doing whatever whatever basis you're you're saying i'm doing pretty good or doing bad i think we need to put up some hedges around this and so a, a, a plug for for uh, for discipleship sunday school growth group d groups or more open up your lives open up your budgets. Uh, that's not hyperbole, uh, dead serious. I mean, literally, let other people, not just random people, uh, but people in, in your in your group, people that you can trust, let them see how you spend your money, what you spend your money on, how you're planning to spend. Full disclosure, uh, this is something that, that Ann and I have thought about but haven't done. And so I'm, I'm asking you to do something, and myself, something that we haven't done yet, but but I'm convicted, convinced more now than ever, uh, this is something we need to do. I, I, I don't want to be, I, I don't want to be... I don't want the grandkids and the great-grandkids to look back and be like, man, what were you doing? <laughs> how, how could you sit there and talk about money and you, you missed the mark? Um, and so even, even if we're not there, uh, friends, w- w- what do you have to lose? So, do we, do we, In the words of Matt, uh, do we value our secrecy more or our sanctification more? So principle number three, we were created for stewardship. We were created for stewardship. From the creation account in Genesis, the text of Scripture sing, sings a common theme. Humankind, the image bearers of God, are to shepherd, steward creation for God's glory. Paul knows this, and after telling them what to hope for, he gives them, he gives them to-dos. Do this, be uh, rich in good works, be generous, be ready to share. And, and said another way, uh, in salvation, we receive an incalculable blessing. Friends, we also receive a responsibility. There is no sense in which you call yourself a believer but, but have not the responsibility. You have, in order that you might give, you have received the gospel, now, now give the gospel. You, you are a conduit. If God's given you blessings, it's because he wants you to use those blessings to expand his kingdom. Randy Alcorn said this, giving is a giant lever positioned on the fulcrum of this world allowing us to move mountains in the next because we give eternity will be different listen listen to that again by giving it allows us to move mountains in the next because we give eternity will be different friends I, I, as i think about you know what what we do with with our money or or, or what we how, how we invest Uh, I think about maybe uh, if you're investing in real estate or in stock or something, you're going to ask the question inevitably, if I give you $1,000, you're going to give me my $1,000 back? And what's the yield going to be? What's the return going to be? Here, Alcorn says, based on the scripture, uh, that you're giving, this may sound lame or churchy, but it it literally has out-of-this-world benefits or reward. And so by, (laughs) by your giving, you change eternity. God is more glorified by your giving uh you are more like christ in your giving eternity is different eternity is different <laughs> how many times i gotta say that eternity is different like will we believe it maybe we don't believe it maybe i don't believe it eternity will be different if if you steward well what god has given you so what, what is this duty or responsibility and to whom do we owe it to the lord first and foremost to him and his glory we functionally do that and fulfill this by, by giving to the church Uh, giving to individuals and giving to ministries. I've just said three groups of people, the church, uh, other people individually, and also ministries. We see these ministries uh, all around and praise the Lord for them. Uh, But to be clear, giving to the church is both uh, uh, ultimate and primary. If if we're not consistently giving to the church, we have no business giving anything else. That's, that's That's a very direct, maybe harsh statement, but it's clear and it's it's biblical, okay? So we got no business giving to anything else if we're not consistently giving to the church. The church is the bride of Christ and the means by which uh, he is accomplishing his will, uh, spreading his glory, and gathering people to himself. And so uh, we do this first and foremost by giving to the church. Um, uh, it, it is okay and good to give to these other things as well, ultimate and primary of the church. So uh, how are we doing? What place does giving to the church have in your life? Uh, do you budget uh, you're giving to the church and uh do you give to to other things out, outside of the church or uh, people that are in the church and so let's say we're, we're giving to the church but but i know that there's a need over here this brother or sister has encountered a hard time and so i'm gonna i'm gonna give uh, we, we we don't need to wait for the for the um for the benevolence the benevolent piece the committee that's over that to come and take money out of the church coffer and give to the like if you see a need a wallet extend hand and, and give to these people okay um how about this? We we have a team of of hopefully maybe fifteen people or more going to Uganda. And so friends, I think sending uh, back up. John Piper said and said, Well, send, go, or disobey, right? And and I don't think we can just say that sending is just when those people that are gonna go into Uganda gather here around and we come lay hands on them. That is a good thing. And we should pray for them and we should continue to pray for them, fervent prayer, interceding. Uh but but sending isn't necessarily just praying for them. Come alongside them, pray. I challenge all of you to pray. Maybe it's $25, maybe it's $50, maybe it's the whole thing. Um, perhaps it's taking care of the, of the law and kiddos while they're gone. Um, so, although not the point of the sermon, I think it's a question that probably a lot of us have or we, we think about. Uh, and, and so I want to address it. And so the, this notion of how much or or what is a tithe, what is the offering? Uh, is it 10%? Is it more? Is it less? And so just just just... Quickly, uh, for some people, giving ten percent I think would be a sin. You heard that right. So, for some people, giving ten percent would be a sin. To give ten percent, you'd be probably robbing away. or Maybe the kids wouldn't be eating. And so, if I lived in in, in, in such a position it, where giving ten percent, I'd be me and Judson. Judson would would be hungry. Uh, that 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 wouldn't be good. I don't think God would be glorified in that. For others, and probably many, many, and many in here, uh, only giving ten percent would be a sin. Greater than a percentage, consider that we live in the New Testament. We're New Testament believers, and so it's, it's grace. And so, like, don't, 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 in your flesh, be like my flesh, my legalism, right? If, if Any legalists in here? So, uh, like, like, give me a number, Lord. Get, tell, me, tell me 10%, and I'll, and I'll give you your 10%, and I'll hoard the rest. Uh, we, we live in a grace where how, how could we ever take that kind of thought to the Lord Where the Lord where he condescended he left heaven took the form of a man born in a stable in a manger lived a life that none of us probably would, would raise our hand and say gosh I want to live like that no no roof over my head no place to go and die to death it was horrible how can we go to him and say I gave you your 10 are you satisfied You good. I I don't I don't think so and he's our model he's he's the one we're going after and so and also just in thinking about the 10% that we often talk about a lot the old, it comes from the old testament like it's it's not a 10 dollars across the board you give 10 you give 10 you give 10 it's a percentage and so the, the, built into that inherent is that that if you have more then you can give more and so um and so I think you know for for us uh, it, it's, it's wherever you're at and be, 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 a, be a giver. And so if it's a, if it's a percent, praise the Lord, give that percent. And next year leverage your life so that you can get more. If it's 25, give the 26. Um, in Thessalonians, Paul commends believers and, uh, in their pursuit of the Lord, but doesn't let them rest on their progress. He says, finally, brothers, we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus, that just as you received from us, how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are doing, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. And so praise the Lord if you're giving. Praise the Lord. Now do so more and more for your own sanctification and good, uh, not because, uh, not for selfish reason, but, but because of the Lord and because of his grace to us. And so um, uh, principle number four, generosity is the solution to our materialism and money problems and source of true joy and contentment. Uh, that's a lot. I'll, I'll say it again generosity is the solution to our materialism and money problems and the source of true joy and contentment that sounds like an oxymoron right almost like affordable roofing (laughs) but it's true you want to know what true life is joy and contentment paul says generosity leads to true treasure and that this true treasure is truly life i think the principle is easy to follow in theory uh, or maybe not, but, but extremely hard to commit to and live by. The reality is it, it, it seems hard, right? I, I struggle. David, I want, this, I want some more of the stuff. I just saw this new gadget come out, and I want it. And Paul's saying, give it away. <laughs> give it away, and then you'll be content. Like, how, how, does, how, how does that work? And so what, I could, I'm going to explain that. Many of us have money problems. I think for the purpose of this conversation, I'm using money problems and materialism interchangeably to describe either or and any number of similar problems that use different phrases. So how do we know if we have money problems? The following are some diagnostic tools, but certainly not exhaustive, and there are certainly exceptions. And so if I say something, like, don't, don't, don't throw something at me. Uh, I believe there's exceptions for all of these, but, but uh, uh, I believe there's some truth to these, and, and by all means, let's, let's get together and talk about it afterwards. So here's a couple and the list, is, the list is not exhaustive. Credit card debt. The existence of debt in and of itself doesn't equate to a problem. The existence of debt doesn't mean that you're in sin, that you're sinning, or that you got a problem. However, we, we, we don't have to look far for statistics to paint a dreary picture of the average household and credit card debt. Like, like we hear it all the time. Um, and so at some point, at some level, there, there's a problem. And so I think when we're thinking about credit card debt or, or things of the, the like... Um, and it ought to be temporary. It ought to be the exception, and it, and it should be decreasing, not the norm, and increasing. Next, little to no consistent contributions. Friends, if you're we're, if we're here and a member here, then we're covenanting together. We're saying that, that I, I'm, I'm behind what the body is doing at Poplar Spring to, to minister to the nations. And so with that comes a responsibility, right? Member saved, responsibility. Salvation, responsibility. Blessing, responsibility. And so if there's no room in your budget for consistent giving, I think that's problematic. Now the exception is perhaps you've lost your job or something. Like there are exceptions, and and uh, uh, but 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 again the context is we live in the in the most prosperous or however you want to define a society ever. Like there, there probably ought to be something left or something to start with um, to, to set aside consistent giving and it's consistent in planned giving paul talks about this in in, in first uh, corinthians 15 or 16 he talks about setting aside at the beginning of the week it's planned giving plan set aside this little to no savings of retirement you might say well, man that, that's uh it, you, you can't follow christ and save for retirement i can't believe you say that david so uh, I want to be careful. This one in view here is the thought again that we live in a prosperous society, so we probably it ought to be able to set aside something so that in our retirement we can support the church uh, and not be a burden uh, to other people. And so we, we may not be in a place where we can, but I think many of us are. And if we can't, then it may be indicative that there is a, a money problem. Is there conflict in your home about money? How to spend it? How to save it? Are we on the same page with your spouse about regular giving? About uh, special offerings and things alike. How do you view money? Is it yours or is it God's? How much peace? How much time? This past week, have you spent thinking about a new vehicle, a new gadget, new whatever? And so, friends, no doubt, uh, I think we have money problems. And so, what do we do? We, we we give it away. And so, consider with me the most generous people you know. And as you think about those people, as they pop in your head, do do you find them to be unhappy? No, strangely enough, that they, they, they seem they give away, and they give away a lot, uh, and they seem to be on the outside uh, at least exhibiting joy, okay? Um, and so why is that? And so here it is. So uh, if we think about feeding and starving things, right, if I have a desire, and my desire is to get stuff for myself, the, the only way... Uh, to, 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 to begin to break that is, is to stop feeding myself this desire. So stop doing that. And so how do I stop that? I, I give away. And so I begin to feed another desire, a, a desire or, or a practice of generosity, which is what I was created to do. And the other thing is we go from being selfishly focused uh, on ourselves uh, to outward, being stewards, being conduits uh, of his mercies and blessings. And so, friends, to be clear, there will be no, no lasting contentment outside of this period and so you want contentment uh give it away hold everything with an open hand and so how how about some maybe maybe you're in this hole uh you're like well man give me some give me some give me some some practical tips um and so here here are a couple things that i found in this book uh, in preparing for the sermon art Rainer's little book the money challenge so be thinking about this how do we how do we forsake self and move forward here's some helpful tips so be satisfied in the lord If he's enough, you'll have no problem saying no to self. Be satisfied in the Lord. Is he enough? Make a conscious effort to say yes more than no. This doesn't require that you have more than everybody else, but it will require that you steward what you have well so that you can say yes. Prioritize stuff over people. Don't wait for opportunities uh, to be generous. Go, Go seek them out. Say to other people, is there anything I can do for you? Don't think of yourself as owners of your possessions. You remember those generous people you just thought about? Go, to, go to and talk to them. Raise your hand and say, you know what? I struggle with money. I, I think i got a problem. I go to them and talk to them. And if they follow Christ, they will shame you. <laughs> they'll, they'll put the arm around you and love on you and, and, uh, and help you forward. Generosity isn't the solution to our materialism. Generosity is the solution to our materialism. Will we believe it and will we pursue it? Principle number five, the Lord gives us stuff to enjoy you heard that correctly, maybe maybe odd, maybe another uh, strange statement. Lord gives us stuff to enjoy. Perhaps not what you expected to hear in a sermon about money and materialism, but it's absolutely true, so allow me to explain it. Verse 17 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us everything to enjoy. And so right there, a clear reading of the text. God is providing stuff for us to enjoy. Like, you don't, have to over, you don't have to overthink this or be super spiritual or try to be like, well, that's not what he really means. That's what he really means. That's what he really means. How many of us delight in giving our children stuff, right? We don't want them to worship it, and, uh, and, and there are some things that I want to take away because they do worship. Uh, we, we, we don't want them to worship it. We, we give it to them because we love them. How much more so our, our Heavenly Father. Second, notice what Paul doesn't say here. He, he doesn't tell them that wealth is bad or to divest themselves of wealth. He didn't tell them to have false self-denial. Because if he'd have done so, we would have just been exchanging materialism for asceticism, this, 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 this giving away of everything. And then we would have been bragging in, Michael, look what I've given away. How much have you given away? I've given away more than you. I'm better than you. I may not struggle with materialism, but I'll be struggling with asceticism. then boasting to the Lord about what I've given up. Consider the Old Testament example, the wealthy saints, Abraham, Job, and Solomon, and some from the New Testament, Lydia, and Dorcas, and Philemon. The prohibition is not on the accumulation of wealth, it's on the accumulation of wealth for selfish reasons. And finally, consider the genius of the argument, the genius in him saying this. If you think back to the garden, uh, one of the things that Satan said to Eve was he was almost calling into question the goodness of God, right? Did God really say this? Why would God let, let you have the fruit of this tree? It's almost like he was saying, God, you know, man, God, he's, he's pulling the wool over your eyes. And so here, it's almost like Paul is saying, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he, he's trying to block that out, you know? Because some people may come in and say, well, your God just wants you to give away everything. You just got to give, 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 give. And the Lord says, no, hold everything with an open hand. Trust in me, and I'll give you what you need for enjoyment. And this will be lasting treasure. And so the, the, the following Christ and the Christian understanding of money is, is, the, is the best thing out there. It takes trust in the Lord, uh, but it is the best. And so, so what does this functionally mean? It means it's okay to have more than the bare minimum. It's okay to eat out, even today. It's okay to turn the air conditioning on in the summer. It's okay to have a put-together home. It's okay to take a vacation. At the end of the day, the Lord delights in giving us things to enjoy. Enjoy them praising him for them, holding them with an open hand, and always being ready to give your freedom up and give up these things. In closing, I want to leave you with a quote and a question. A quote's an old one from Jim Elliott, I'm partial to. It says, uh, he is no fool to give up that which he could never keep in order to gain that which he could never lose. The question is newer, at least for me, and and, uh, is good and cuts to the heart. When thinking about our treasure and our responsibilities, Don't ask the question, how much should I give? Ask the question, how much should I keep? Let's pray.